Anonymous is hard. And in, in, in an athlete's world, you make it anonymous because you want them to feel comfortable. Their gold currency oftentimes is their playing time, it's their financial aid, perhaps it's their network and career ambitions. They're very reluctant to, be, to want to bring things forward because they don't want to jeopardize that. So anonymous gives them that safe and confidential space to be able to do so. But from the organization's perspective, Anonymous is sticky, right? Um, once you find out about it, it's almost like something got thrown over the fence and you have to handle it the right way. And if you don't, you're potentially negligent. So I think for years, you know, organizations were saying, I'd rather not know about it and stick my hand, head in the sand and at least try to deny it down the road if it bubbles up. And we've all seen that doesn't work. Welcome to another edition of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, technology, disruption, analytics, media, all different kinds of things, uh, almost every week. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, we're at the end of the Olympics for 2021. Yes, um, and we got to chat about that in the last show. Uh, but as we look at this final weekend, Joe, any further thoughts on top of what we discussed last week in the, uh, in the, the show with Bo? Well, I will use uh, the quote that we texted back and forth um, on this Friday, whatever today is, August uh, 6th, story in the New York Times about the problems that NBC has had. And from uh, our colleague, Jeff Shell, there was a quote said, we've had a little bit of bad luck which I guess if he was either the captain of the Titanic or running the Olympics for 2021 for NBC, it would play in with understatement on both sides. Well, I think it's going to be, go down as one of the great quotes of media history uh, yeah. as we, as we look back on this someday. Um, yeah. yeah, it's been weird. I mean, the, the issue we talked about last week with the fragmented distribution, the difficulty in discovery, et cetera, they've continued into week two. And um, I don't think there's much more to say. The ratings are, are poor. I was asked by our friend Seth Everett in, in a story he was writing this week. Uh, he mm -hmm. wanted a quote. He, he, he actually was, was thinking that the, the biggest problem was the time difference. And, and I said, well, that's one issue. But I said, the fact of the matter, you, get, you got all kinds of issues, uh, different devices, um, the advertising that is... Uh, obviously followed through on in the digital environments that just doesn't play as well in digital environments like connected TV or mobile or something like that. So we, we ended up having a really interesting conversation on that point. I haven't, I don't think his article's out yet, um, mm -hmm. but this is a topic that's going to be dissected for weeks and months and probably years to come. Yep. Lots of problems, but we're going to talk about problem solving today in the, in the Texas. Let's, yeah, let's switch the narrative. Uh, and for, for um, people who followed us week after week, or have dived in from time to time, you know that we like to talk about disruption and looking at issues and figuring out, you know, if there are people usually smarter than Tom or I who come up with solutions. Uh, and today we're gonna to talk about a solution. And I'm gonna play a little bit of what if before we get started. So if you think about the, the problems of sport with athletes in the last few years, what if there was uh, a platform that was safe and secure that an MLB player could have reported someone maybe taking steroids on and, and been able to point it out before it became a problem. What if probably if there was an Olympic gymnast who was able to safely and securely report a, an issue with someone like Larry Nasser before USA Gymnastics even knew about it and was able to solve that issue? What if there was an athlete who was having 
um, issues with mental health and was close to suicide. And there was somewhere that his roommate or his teammate or her roommate or teammate could report it. Um, what if in the past? Well, the what if has been slowly, partially solved and is growing by our guest today. His name is David Chadwick. He's created a platform called Real Response. Um, it came out of necessity, being a former uh, college athlete, a basketball player, both at Rice and, and Valparaiso, and he'll talk to you about how, how they came about. But really, in essence, Real Response, now used by over 100 schools and uh, NGBs like USA, Gym, uh, USA Gymnastics, and also most recently the NFL Players Association, um, is a safe and secure um, platform where athletes can report issues that they may see and that universities or national governing bodies or leagues or teams will be able to probably look at things and figure out how to solve problems before they become bigger. So David Chadwick, welcome to the Cusp Show. Thanks, Joe and Tom. Great to be here. Cool. Yeah, I, I, so, I'll just say this in response Tom. to your opening, yeah. which I thought was really good. When I learned about Real Response and started reading up on it, I immediately, in fact, I have a list of questions I jotted down. One of them was use cases, question mark. And as I started thinking about use cases, I, my mind uh, got blurry after like two minutes because the use cases just kept going and going. You yep. listed what, three or four. But it, what's really interesting here is that it applies to so many things that have come uh, under great scrutiny finally these last few years. And it feels like it's a moment in time where something like this really makes sense. Anyway, with no further buildup, yeah. David, yeah. Why, why don't you, I guess, to start, just let everybody know how you conceived of this and got it off the ground. Sure. I mean, like many entrepreneurs, I started something to, to solve a direct challenge that I experienced um, firsthand. I'm a former basketball student athlete. As Joe said, I was blessed to play at two different universities. Um, started my career at Rice University. I absolutely loved Rice as a university while playing basketball there. Um, during my time, we had some issues and allegations surfaced by some of my teammates around discrimination and abuse. Both sides of the argument had had their own side. And, you know, I ultimately chose to left to leave and transfer up to Valparaiso. That was really my first exposure to some of the more unfortunate things that can happen within a sports environment. But honestly and unknowingly laid a lot of the seeds for what real responses become today. Um, I ended up at Valpo. I had an amazing experience at Valpo. The ironic part was it was a school that I had denied twice. Um, citing all the previous reasons I didn't want to go. Weather, facilities, conference. If you know Valpo, the uniform colors deterred me a little bit too. Um, the things as a naive 17-year-old, I tried to check off my list because I thought I knew at the time what was going to make me happy as a student athlete. But what I learned there is the student athlete experience has very little to do with the externals and everything to do with the intangibles. It's the people, it's the culture, it's the relationships. You know, I joke with people to this day, I would have followed Bryce Drew, who was my coach at Valpo and his staff to any school in the country. I don't care where they are. Those are the people that I would want to play for. Um, so I was taking a class where I had to come up with an idea originally at Rice. Um, and I wanted to come up with something that would solve the direct challenges, again, that I experienced as a student athlete and mainly the difficulty of providing feedback on experiences, things that are going well, things that could be improved and potentially bring forward concerns that I or that I heard from many of my, my peers and friends might have as well. And then equipping the administration again to see what's going well and what needs attention. Um, a couple of years later at Valpo, I was getting my MBA where I had to come up with another idea. I'm not smart enough to come up with multiple ideas. So I recycled the old one um, and, and brought that back and took it to the attention of Mark LaBarbera, who was and still is the athletic director at Valpo. 
and pitched this to him. And he was the first one that really helped me understand, David, I think a lot of ADs would be interested in having better insight into what's going on within their athletic department. Um, so I began to cold call and cold email athletic directors. There's roughly 325 Division I ADs. I actually interviewed over 200 of them. Um, and the question I asked was, how do you get feedback from your student athletes? What are the challenges you have in that process? That's the really important question you have to ask in entrepreneurship is figure out what people's problems are and try to solve it. And I collected all that feedback over those months and months of research and then basically built at the time Real Recruit. We've obviously since rebranded to Real Response, but at the time Real Recruit version 1.0 that solved some of those challenges that I heard from ADs. Um, and then I began to go back to them. Um, so I said, I know I interviewed you several months ago about this, this specific area. I'd love to show you what this became. Um, and was gracious and thankful enough to have some folks that invited me in to come in and present, present to their senior staff and showed them the system. And then in the, that first year had some very prominent schools uh, jump on board. The interesting thing though, and just continuing to tell this story and how we've got to where we are today, um, in those early years, student athletes began to use our system, which at the time was just a survey platform to bring forward really, really concerning things. Um, and stuff that in some examples should have come out weeks, months, and occasionally even years earlier. Um, hazing, NCAA violations, inappropriate relationships between student athletes and coaches, mental health, sexual assault, abuse, misconduct. You mentioned earlier the just number of different things that could fall under this umbrella. And the immediate response from the folks that we were working with was, we can't wait till end of your surveys. We need to have a real-time mechanism for our athletes to be able to approach us at any time with questions, feedback, or concerns that they might have. So that really launched us into where we are today, built out this real-time reporting mechanism, which has now probably become our, our flagship product, and then continuing to serve these athletic departments in this unique way. So that was really the launch, and, the, and I know you mentioned earlier where we are today, but um, those early years and the research that we did and figuring out what the product needed to be has set a great roadmap for, for being able to serve this industry during a, a really timely um, and important uh, space. So David, when you, talked about building v1 you you obviously had to build software correct, correct. yeah correct. i mean you had to build a platform yes um tell us about that experience because I, I don't know if you have a software background or an engineering background but you must have gotten help to do that and then obviously since it's sensitive information there's it, it had to be really well done carefully yes. done etc so talk about that yeah, and I'm not a, I'm not an engineer and will never be an engineer. I respect the world out of those people because they're incredibly talented. Um, early on, partnered with some folks that did have that background uh, as kind of that technical co-founder role. Um, helped really bring in the feedback that we were hearing from our clients and then building out that early version um, while utilizing those resources that they had in place and to help to help develop the, the, the product. So yeah, just long- So it was initially a, a primarily like a web interface? Uh, yeah, we're not a mobile app. Um, yeah, okay. that, that's intentional. I'm not naive enough to think we're ever going to beat out Snapchat and TikTok and Instagram for precious storage space. And as Apple continues to <laughs> change their way of doing things, storage space is precious. Um, but it all is fully web accessible where they can do it on their phone. Yeah. So it's essentially like um, a SaaS business, software as a service. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, can you talk about some of your clients, you know, one of which, you know, uh, Tom and I have talked about our Columbia colleague, John Curry, uh, was a first adopter at Wake Forest. Um, you've had schools, not just big schools, when you hear, you look at the list of Maryland and Baylor and Army and Texas A&M, but Division three schools, you just added in an NAIA school. Um, and you also, as I mentioned at the beginning, have 
a key NGV that's had some issues in the past at USA Gymnastics, uh, and also the NFL Players Association. So tell us about kind of the breadth and scope of schools and, and the user experience and what it's been like, uh, especially since you've really kind of upgraded it in the last 18 months. Sure. You know, for the first four, four years, we were narrowly focused on college and saw rapid growth. That was our sweet spot. Um, have served many different types of institutions, big power fives, down to D2s, D3s, and then most recently a new NAIA partner. Um, and I tell people that the issues we deal with are not unique to power five schools. These types of things happen at many different types of institutions across the country. Um, and they all, they all have the same needs. So we've been able to partner with these different schools and um, help them again, be responsive to student athletes needs and concerns. And in many instances, I believe help pretend, uh, prevent a crisis. So college is where we were focused. College remains a, a huge um, focal point for us as we build out the business and expand our region there. You know, honestly, what caused us to begin to expand outside of college was COVID. When COVID hit, I took a step back and I looked at kind of the landscape of our business. And, and for years, I've always known there was a bigger opportunity for us. But I think COVID forced me to rethink just the business of the health and sustainability. And along that same time, I got synced up with, with Don Davis at the NFLPA. And Don helped me understand quickly. He said, look, we're, we're trying to prepare for our upcoming season. And let's go back a year ago in the summer. Like no one had any idea if the NFL was going to play. College football was in a total unstate, uh, a state of uncertainty. Don said, we're preparing for our new season. We have no idea what's going to happen. We need a way for our players to be able to anonymously come to us amidst COVID. If they have questions, but probably even more pertinent, if there's violations going on. So my teammate Joe is partying and he's not telling anybody or Joe's symptomatic and he's not telling anybody. How do we hope, help, how do we hold people accountable? So to hopefully curb this bad behavior, um, but ultimately if things are going on, address them as quickly as possible. And again, if you go back to COVID, every hour mattered, right? If someone, was in, if someone came up positive, the contact tracing and trying to figure out who was in touch with that person and then isolate them, it was just a nightmare. So there was just a, a huge importance on this. Um, so we were really proud to partner with the NFLPA last year amidst the, the, the pandemic season, um, saw tremendous success with their players. And then more recently, hence the press release, Joe, that you alluded to from last week, they've now expanded our system just beyond COVID. So the players can use it for any health and safety need that they might have and not just narrowed into that one area. Um, and going back to the beginning of our conversation, there's just so many things that face today's athletes that they potentially need help on. And we're going to be really proud to help support them moving forward. So COVID, again, was the beginning of that with the NFLPA. Um, a few months after that, we got synced up with USA Gymnastics and their new, le new leadership um, began to talk about a potential partnership and how they were really trying to put new policies and procedures into place so that they could be responsive to their athlete feedback and um, needs and concerns and what's going well and what could be improved. And um, they showed it to their broader staff and all their program directors. And the, the group was just incredibly excited about that partnership. So we were proud to, to do that with them several months ago. And we've been actively involved with them in Tokyo. They've been using our system to um, make remind the athletes continually about how they have a, a system in place to be able to come forward if they had feedback and needs related to all the different areas. We got to remember some of these athletes are minors, right? They're over here in this highly scrutinized period. 
um, where the Japanese government has a lot of protocols in place. They're separated from their parents and they're isolated. And we've been able to help them, again, stay connected and communicate. And if needed, people can bring forward concerns as well. So again, NFLPA to USA Gymnastics a few months later. And then we've got several really significant ones we're announcing here within the next couple of weeks. And this is just within 12 months. So I, I, this is a very long answer, Joe, but I think COVID forced us to take a step back and rethink our business model and how we can serve new industries and verticals. And now it's just accelerated significantly as a, as a result of having success with NFLPA and, and others. David, in terms of privacy, let's take the NFLPA as an example. The information is feeding into the, the PA leadership, I imagine. They have access to this. It's like sure. a site license for, for the, the leadership to to look at this software or, uh, you know, in other words, the, the information is collected and certain people have access to seeing what's being reported, correct? Perfect. Yeah, we, we do not receive it and right. deal with it, yep. So in that case, do they feel um, compelled to share that with the leadership of the club, which is obviously not in the PA, like the coaches and the business leadership? So I'm thinking of the use case of the Washington football team, where there have been a lot of controversies the last few years. If the if the PA had had it during those difficult, problematic years, would they be would they be compelled to find the right word? Would would they feel the need to share this with the power brokers that are running the team? Yeah, I mean, let's um. Let's take a step back and look at the union's role. The, the union's role is in the best interest of the players, and that's who they represent. Um, so their 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 interest on are on serving the players and the players' health and safety. In our example, so you know, the types of things that are that come through our system are usually related to player health and safety and player needs. Um, certainly, something could have come through. I know with the Washington football team example, that was linked to employees and back office and things alike. Um, so potentially, yes, if it would have come through there related to that, I think it would be then the NFLPA's decision if they wanted to pass that off to the appropriate parties. But, you know, I, I think in, I think the better implementation would be for, in this example, Washington football team to have been a client and have it set up or perhaps the NFL as a whole and having um, this set up as a reporting line for, for the employees at the various clubs. Is there some sort of system in place to ensure that the data collected and these insights will become actionable ultimately for the organizations because one of the themes of these horrible stories we read about whether it's the gymnastics scandal with michigan and, and nasser uh the penn state situation with sandusky was that a lot of leaders knew what was going on and chose not to report it to higher authorities yeah so let's um let's let's take a step back again and look at just the, the challenge with anonymity in general right um, anonymous is hard. And in, in, in an athlete's world, you make it anonymous because you want them to feel comfortable. Their gold currency oftentimes is their playing time. It's their financial aid. Perhaps it's their network and career ambitions. They're very reluctant to be, to want to bring things forward because they don't want to jeopardize that. So anonymous gives them that safe and confidential space to be able to do so. But from the organization's perspective, anonymous is sticky, right? Um, once you find out about it, it's almost like something got thrown over the fence and you have to handle it the right way and if you don't, you're potentially negligent. So I think for years, you know, organizations were saying, I'd rather not know about it and stick my hand, head in the sand and at least try to deny it down the road if it bubbles up. And we've all seen that doesn't work. So, so where our systems become really valuable is it's not just one-way anonymous communications. It's not someone throwing some bombshell issue over the fence and then you having no idea who, it's, who said it and how to investigate it. 
with anything that comes in anonymously, you have the ability to carry on further correspondence with that person while as long as he or she so chooses, they can remain anonymous um, directly where they want to be utilizing uh, their messaging through their cell phone. So it's not some complicated web form. They have to log in and remember a username and password. Um, the organization can ask further questions, um, invite the person to come in and meet, point them in the direction of resources. So on campus, that's commonly here's how you go meet with our Title IX coordinator to address your Title IX concern. Here's how you go to our mental health specialist. Here's how you go to the sports medicine person or university compliance. And then we've also set up our system, our system so those people can be in the platform as well. So they could just go tag their Title IX coordinator. That person can then respond back to the athlete. And the value is twofold. Number one, they're being responsive, right? And they're gathering information and it's not hitting a roadblock and they're able to help accelerate their investigation as a result. But number two, our system automatically documents everything with a date and timestamp. They'll build out a full record trail and have that, that documentation to be able to show if ever scrutinized to your point. Yeah, we found out about this, but we can show you exactly what we did, who we told, how we followed up and exactly what happened thereafter versus in some of these previous examples, like you mentioned, you know the issue happened and you know some people perhaps knew about it, but no record to be able to show what they did thereafter. Right. And do the ADs typically share the any of the information with the administration of these schools as in like the the president yeah so think of the penn state example where a lot of the administrator like the, the the heads of the university obviously got implicated yeah in the process so would it be common and let's take the case of wake and and john curry like when he's making the deal and and if you can't tell tell us this it's cool but i'm just curious well, would I, that yeah. would that deal get approved by the administration say hey that's a, that would be a good way to keep tabs on our uh, um, wrongdoings in our athletic program, let's pay whatever it costs to do this new real response deal. But as part of that, John, we wanna be privy to what you find. Well, athletic departments for the most part take marching orders from campus um, right. with these types of things. And um, I would say very commonly, there are campus partners in our system that are able to be tagged as a part of follow-up potentially even be in the initial no as this information comes in. General counsel is a very common role, as you can imagine, Title IX coordinator, dean of students, the folks over student mm -hmm. conduct. Um, but what we're seeing more and more is, yes, campus is a part of the decision and then potentially the purchase too, especially at like the D2 and D3 level where their budgets come directly from campus. They don't have a budget. It's just every year requesting an increase and maybe going straight to the president and saying, can I have an additional amount of X dollars to be able to implement the system? And it's going to help keep us off the front page of the uh, the front page of the local paper. So yes, um, talk about objections. You, you know, you have over a hundred partners, but that means that there's probably at least in the university right now, five hundred to a thousand schools, universities, NGBs that are not yet part of the system. Sure. What are the objections that you get, and how do you deal with them? Price is always an objection, and you never know if that's a legit objection or if it's just the easiest excuse, but. Um, budgets are tighter after COVID, but you know we're not a um, significant line item compared to some of the deals that they're doing with other vendors. But yes, cost is an objection. Um, I, I would say also an objection sometimes is, okay, do we really want to give student athletes their own confidential reporting line, especially on the campuses when the rest of the student body might not have it? And a lot of times at campuses, the students have a reporting line to report Title IX, bias, discrimination, et cetera. And the response is we don't want to give student athletes their own system to be able to report. And, and we've really begun to overcome that 
um, frankly, by framing real response for athletic specific issues. So this is for reporting athletic specific issues, specific issues such as, and we all follow college athletics. There's a lot of athletic specific issues, um, NCAA violations, mishandling of injuries, issues that are happening on the road. We had an example where a coach was texting while driving and almost got in a wreck. Um, mis mishandling of injuries can become a huge issue. We've seen several examples recently. I believe Seton Hall men's basketball has one right now where a former player is filing a lawsuit saying their injury wasn't handled appropriately. Um, we've seen issues of verbal and emotional abuse between teams and coaches and culture. So again, framing our system for athletic specific issues, equipping the administration to be responsive to these issues as they've surfaced, um, while also linking and saying, if you need to report a Title IX concern, click this link. If you need to report bias discrimination, click this link. And I would argue it doesn't conflict the campus system. It complements it and makes it much more accessible for them to know where to go. So cost, um, existing systems that are in place. And then number three, uh, goes back to what you said earlier, Joe, it's just getting people to the point where they understand of why anonymous safe confidential reporting is important. Because I think the challenge is, especially old, old school ADs think, oh, I'm, I'm going to lose the in-person relationship and the connections and my open door policy. And we need kids to, this generation needs to learn how to have difficult conversations and speak up and go to someone in the room and share their opinion. And I think that's all great. And I totally agree with it. But the reality is there are some issues that people aren't going to bring forward in person and the relationship is not going to capture it. And having that confidential and safe reporting allows you to be able to be responsive to these things. And, and frankly, too, I think there's zero tolerance now, right? Um, as these issues continue to happen, there's no excuse now for not knowing about these things. And the people at the top, whether it be the AD or the CEO of these NGBs or whoever, are going to be the ones that are accountable for them happening thereafter. How, um, how are things like red herrings dealt with? You know, some disgruntled athlete or a parent, you know, trying to out a coach for something that didn't happen or, sure. um, you know, something that, that is fictitious or, or, you know, can hurt recruiting. Um, how are those things handled? Same way. As I mentioned earlier, you can respond back to the person. So you offer to meet, give, extend the invitation for the person to pick up the phone and call you, um, point them to resources. Do you want to go meet with our general counsel? Do you want to go meet with our title nine coordinator? You, you put the burden and maybe burden's not the right word, but the accountability, the responsibility is the right word back on that person and then they have to take action if they want to pursue it further. And if it's a fabricated or fictitious claim, they're not going to do it. I mean, there's there's nothing to chase from there. And then how uh, on the litigious side, because we live in a litigious society, um, you've had some questions come up of disclosure on cases that become very public, very legal battles. Um, how is that handled in terms of confidentiality or is it like, you know, client, client privilege? Uh, how, how does that play out? Uh, when, you know, some lawyer is knocking on your door or sending an email saying, I need to see all this, this confidential information. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, you can tag people into threads. Um, our system tracks all the metadata. So for example, with the general counsel, you could tag your general counsel. You'd have that log of when that person was added and they can mark it as privilege. So that does help from that perspective. Um, you know, open records will always be a reality for public universities. Um, you're always going to have attorneys that are trying to subpoena information you know, what I tell people, though, is removing all that conversation, let's just focus on where our system becomes valuable, right? You'd rather know about it than not know about it. So that justifies putting the system Maybe. in place. But number two, if you're using our system the right way, it's going to show that you're handling it the right way, right? The day and time I found out about this, I told this person, we followed up, we communicated with the anonymous person in this way. Here's all the date and times to justify this. And 
frankly, here you go, opposing counsel or whoever, like <laughs> the system's going to show that we're doing this the right way and it's going to protect us. Mm -hmm. Great. David, you've got some really impressive testimonials on your site from athletic directors, customers of real response. You've been doing it now for about six years. Do you have strong evidence that it's, for lack of a better description, working? Like, are our customers happy and renewing? Like, this is a really important new thing in, in the way they're managing their athletics? Yeah, we have great renewal rates. We have great upsell rates where we take new products to our clients and they want to add them on. Um, I mean, just to give you some specific examples, like we have one that a former athletic director speaks to pretty candidly. Um, where a student athlete used our system to anonymously share that one of their teammates was considering suicide. And the institution was immediately able to cover that person and resources, connect them to different individuals. And he tells me to this day, I think we might've prevented what otherwise could have been a crisis. Um, we've had examples where partners have been able to avoid litigation. So um, this hits the, the news, I feel like every week, but an allegation of abuse or, or whatever comes out by an athlete and the institution or organization has been able to use our system in the conversations with the opposing counsel and say, we have a formal process for our athletes to bring forward their needs and concerns. This individual never chose to bring this, this issue forward. And these examples, the opposing counsel has actually recommended not to move forward with litigation. So saving this school or institution or organization, whoever, tons of money related to, to legal fees and the investigation or anything thereafter. Um, we've had institutions identify serious, serious verbal and emotional abuse and toxic culture uh, problems within their programs. We saw an issue where a coach was giving cash to recruits when they were on campus. That was an obvious <laughs> violation of the NCAA rules. Um, I mentioned the one earlier where a coach was texting while driving. Mm -hmm. I could go down the list. I mean, there's just been there's been so many examples. It feels like this would would be helpful in high school sports and, and advanced youth, competitive youth sports like AAU and things like that. Is that on the docket? Uh, yeah, we're evaluating it. As we have these conversations with the national governing bodies, um, they're looking at not only, okay, how can this be used with our national and Olympic team athletes, but um, promoting this service to our club organizations as well and membership. Um, I think the challenge there is just with where we are now with elite athletics, a college athlete, a, a, an NFL player, there's obviously a, a clear tie to um, the investment that's being put into that person, right? Whether it be their salary, their scholarship, NIL is <laughs> changing all that now. Um, so I think there's there's definitely an element of perhaps more, I don't mean to put this dismissive towards the high school or youth clubs, I think more responsibility for the value of that person and, and their needs and concerns. But certainly, yes, I mean, there, there are many, many issues that are going on at that level now that, that our system could provide um, assistance to. And that last question from me, and we'll, we'll get to our two questions, and I'm sure Tom has one more, but flipping it around, um, have you seen schools start to use this as a recruiting tool for parents looking at this saying, you know, how am I going to know if my, you know, my son or daughter is protected and, and will be in a safe environment? Have you cut, schools come back to you and said, you know, we've got a real response, Mark, this is what we do to make sure that you understand that, that your kids are being protected? Yeah, and we're now seeing institutions, and we haven't done this for years past, we really just started in the last 12 months, wanting to do press releases. So wanting to do a joint press release where they can highlight and amplify what they're doing. Um, we've got one on our website from a few days ago where Janet Cohn, the athletic director at UNC Asheville, 
recorded a video and spoke to why she's implementing real response, what the goals are, how it's going to be utilized. And then UNC Asheville is putting it out on their Twitter and the different programs are retweeting it and getting it out to those recruits that are watching it. So absolutely. I mean, this is becoming an asset that for these young men and women, when they're on campus and their parents to be able to see your kid's going to be covered from the in-person relationships as a coach and as our, our staff, but if there's ever something else they need help with and they need a confidential way to be able to reach the administration, here's a way they can do it through real response. Cool. All right, I've got one more, Joe. Um, yep. We mentioned NIL. And I just want to ask specifically about what that means for real response and, and how you build this out because obviously this all just hit the summer a month ago. Yeah. Um, we've heard the stories, the anecdotes floating around the industry already of the craziness that ensued. Did you actually go in and either add to or modify software to reflect some of the potential issues around NIL? Yeah, we're seeing our clients do it and just kind of adding it to the list of the types of concerns that people could use our system for. Um, I think it's going to be a couple of waves. I think the first wave was the wave of unknown. I had a partner tell me, I feel like I'm in the middle of a field right now. Um, and he's at a major university over their compliance staff. And he said, I know a tornado is coming, but I don't know from which direction. I don't know if it's going to be close to me. I don't know how big it's going to be. Um, so I think the first wave was just kind of the unknown of, okay, NIL is here. What does it mean? Um, but I think once we figure that out, the second wave is going to be, okay, what do violations look like, right? Because there's inevitably going to be bad behavior as this gets going. Um, I'm shocked that you'd say that. Being shocked. <laughs> no, right. There's never, never bad behavior. So, um, you know, our system will be positioned to help these institutions find out if there is inappropriate activity going on behind the scenes, people not disclosing deals, everything that you can imagine. Um, but then our, our platform also has a really good documentation uh, uh, system where they can log the meetings, the conversations, the notes that they're having around these types of issues too, because again, you want to be able to show not only have we found out about it, but here's everything that was going on alongside it as well. So um, I, I don't think we're in the weeds that some of these other vendors are from like a deal disclosure and things like that. But I, I know our time's coming as um, inevitably it will with the bad. Well, it seems like you're in a really good position on that particular issue since the NCAA decided to punt on it entirely <laughs> in terms of monitoring, right? Yeah, punts plural. They'll probably keep punting. Um, yeah. so, All right. Yes. Uh, ongoing punting. Right. All right. Well, man, that's really interesting. Congrats yeah. on all the success. Thank you. And I, and I mean this, um, and I think any entrepreneur would tell you this. Certainly we, we had success and proud of what we've done, but in a lot of these examples, it's being in the right place in the right time. And if you want to call it luck or divine sovereignty or whatever, we were, we were in the right neighborhood and not yet on the right street. Um, but as this began to become a focus of athletes utilizing their voice and speaking to injustice and issues and mental health. I mean, the Olympics with what Michael Phelps is doing right now and Simone Biles, it's just, it's, it's raising awareness to the athlete feedback and issues unlike ever before. And again, we were, we were already doing this and we we're going to continue to do this and it's our mission. So we've been really proud to, to now take this and run with the movement and what's going on and, and, and continue to adjust this moving forward. So David, uh, our last two questions that we'd like to ask because we have a lot of young people or people transitioning in careers or entrepreneurs uh, who listen to the podcast. What's the advice other than I love right neighborhood trying to find the, the right street? Um, the advice you give to young people or people looking to reinvent themselves as a career. And then the other thing is you guys touch on so many areas. How do you stay up to date and constant with all the news that's going on you know, that could affect your business? 
Yeah. So the first advice I'd give the young folks, and I did this, but I honestly, I think I did it a little bit unknowingly. Leverage, um, leverage not necessarily being a professional that's asking for something yet. Um, so at the time I was a Valpo student athlete and I was able to reach out to John Curry and Greg Byrne and Scott Strickland and all these different folks and just be completely honest with them and say, I'm a basketball student athlete. I'm doing a class project right now. Would you be willing to speak with me for 15 minutes about what I'm working on and provide me some feedback? If I would have emailed those three and said, I'm selling a software that I'd like to pitch you on, would you give me a call back? <laughs> Probably most of them wouldn't. So point. Yeah. when you're going to these people, um, you know, leverage just saying, I'm young, I'm hung hungry. You were once in my place. I'd love to connect with you and pick your brain on what I'm working on. Many people will take your call. Um, but then after that, I'm a big believer in just tenacity and determination. And you have to find a way to separate yourself against the fold. And you know, our team has worked so hard over the last five years, showing up to every conference where we knew people would be at. I have, I have, I mean, countless examples where um, I won't use a name, but ADs that were willing to take my call. And I said to them, oh, by the way, I'm going to come meet with you in person. <laughs> Little did they know I was hopping on a plane and I was going to fly out there to meet with them in person because I knew that relationship was going to be so strong for long-term success and sustainability. So um, find ways to separate yourself. And if it means getting in the car and driving six hours or getting on a plane and flying to meet with one someone, and I've done that for many, many years now, and it's compounded, that's the ultimate separation that I think achieves um, long-term success. And, and before you go to the second question, just so everybody understands, David is of the ripe old age of 31. 31. So, so, so it's not like, you know, he is in the boat or in the, the general area of most of our students, maybe a little bit older, Tom, just slightly mm -hmm. older. So yeah, no, but that's really solid advice. Good for you. Yeah. And then um, how do you stay up to date with everything going on? Yeah, we're um, really in, in tune with the, the various media outlets. I mean, on, on college, I think D1 Ticker and College AD do a really good job of syndicating every, everything that happened throughout the day. Um, I've got a really, I don't know if this is a good thing, a really good memory of all the issues that are going on with the various universities across the country. So I could name off probably the last 10 off the top of my head. Um, so that that helps me just kind of have my radar on, okay, what types of issues are now bubbling up at these various institutions? How can we then translate that to our current partners and make sure that they're addressing these areas? Um, and then honestly, it's just staying in contact with our clients. I mean, it's not unusual for me to text or call one of my friends and just say, hey, how are you doing? Is there anything that we can do for you? I'd love to catch up. And just that touch point um, is, is oftentimes uh, a way to just gather feedback and, and stay in tune with what's going on. Yep. And then uh, lastly, you are hiring um, and you are looking at other opportunities or there may be some people listening who want to find out more about Real Response. Um, how do they find you and how do they find out more about Real Response? Well, I'll give you the easiest way. Um, David.chadwick at realresponse.com is my email. So you are um, more than willing to email me. And Joe, going back to your earlier question of how do I separate myself? Um, I was the person that was emailing folks and I didn't send them one email. And I might regret saying this when I have a huge inbox here in the coming weeks, but I you know, emailed them twice. I emailed them three times. I emailed them four times. And then I go to their administrative assistant and say, I've been trying to get in touch with this person. Do you think they talked to me? So there's definitely a, a determination piece that separates folks there, but that's my email. Um, and then if you go to our website, we have a contact form. Um, we have a chat bubble bubble at the bottom right that allows you to directly message our team with questions and comments, et cetera. So that, that's probably the easiest way. And the URL is real response, right? Realresponse.com. Correct. Yes. Okay, cool.
Wow, that's a good answer. Giving someone giving their email, Joe. That that's that's bold. I would, I would say I Tom, in five years we've maybe had three people. Maximum, maximum respect. Our our producer Taylor just like gave us the thumbs up. Like I think you're going to get at least one from Taylor. Uh, <laughs> he's been listening to us. Uh, but that no, that really is nice of you to do that. And I I I agree with you. By the way, um, I always use the go back to the the classic line: fortune favors the bold. And sometimes yeah. being bold just means reaching out when you're a little bit scared to reach out. Uh, as I often say to people, what's the worst that can happen? They won't return your email. Yeah. That's such a bad thing. And, and you got to learn. I mean, I'm, I'm taking a class that starts next week on how to become a better writer. And I think writing is so key. And um, the first, the first class is going to be cold emailing and just how do I formulate a really good cold email to someone that I don't know and the right length and the right tone and um, all that's, all that's connected with, with trying to achieve a success. And this person's position is, cold emails have changed my life. I can, I can directly to link all these different successes that I've had to a really good email that I sent someone that opened a door. So, yeah. And by the way, and related to that, if it, and I've said this to, to people I've um, given some advice to, if it's a really important email and it's only a few sentences, that takes you 45 minutes or an hour. Oh. That's a great <laughs> investment of your time. Easily. I mean, I've, I've spent hours just going back and forth on an email and then sleeping on it and coming back mm -hmm. and, yeah, I mean, you got to you got to figure out how to be economical, uh, on message, yeah. polite, but tenacious. I mean, it's it's an art, and it and it takes a lot of practice to write good emails like that. And I've had times where someone's emailed me back, and I my wife's like, "What the heck are you doing?" And I'm like, "This person just emailed me back, and I know they're at their computer and they're looking at their email, so I need to respond back to them this very second. I'm dropping everything to do so." So, but I, I'm very joking. I'm very analytical. I probably overthink things, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Good for you. Tom, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, boy. Um, well, thank you to David Chadwick of Real Response. What a fascinating topic. What a fascinating business. And what a great story for, for you personally, David. Thank you for sharing it with everybody. Um, really impressive. I appreciate it. Appreciate all you guys are doing for the future of the sports business world. And it was an honor to, to be here today. Our pleasure. So we urge everybody to check out Real Response. That's realresponse.com. Uh, you can email David, uh, most importantly, as a, as, a, as a next step of this podcast. That's a, that's a great offer. And anybody looking around, um, take David's advice. Go for it. Uh, but make sure it's a good email. Not a quick email. <laughs> Put some time aside and write something smart to David. Uh, thank you, Joe. Great. Uh, I'm glad you you introduced us to David. It was great to have him. Thank you, Taylor, for uh, producing as always. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I'll say this again. We say it every so often. If any uh, listeners would like to recommend any specific guests, topics, issues, whatever, Joe and I are all ears and talking about being accessible. Um, Joe, um, it's easy to find both of us, especially on yeah. Twitter. So yeah. don't hesitate to reach out. We're really happy to, to, to get some feedback and uh, get some ideas. So, so feel free to do that. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see everybody next time on the show. Thank you, guys.
guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.